after election season, as legislatures and executive offices begin to turn over, newly elected officials have to begin shaping their priorities and engaging with constituents to inform those priorities, often forming brand new relationships in the process. So how do rural hospitals ensure that they are part of the conversation with newly elected policy and rulemakers from the start? With eager communication, earnest discussion, and a willingness to educate on the issues. I'm Rachel Lott. And I'm J.J. Hodshire. And this is Rural Health Rising. Welcome to Episode 86 of Rural Health Rising. I'm J.J. Hodshire, President and Chief Executive Officer of Hillsdale Hospital. And I'm Rachel Lott, Director of Marketing and Development. So, Rachel, we've talked to our outgoing Michigan State Senator uh, not too long ago, actually, Mm -hmm. uh, Mike Shirky, and um, we had a great conversation with him. But today we have the privilege of speaking with our incoming state senator, something very exciting. That's right. We're talking with someone who's already served uh, in the Michigan legislature as a representative and now has a larger and broader constituency, including Hillsdale, as a state senator. That is right. Our guest today is state senator-elect. I think you're, you're representative until what date? January 3rd, I can give you the office. Okay, all right. Until January 3rd. All right. Uh, Joe Bellino of Michigan's 16th District, uh, and we welcome you to Rural Health Rising today. Well, thank you, JJ. I'm happy to be here. We're excited. So to start, why don't you tell us uh, a little bit about yourself, your background, and your work at the State House thus far? Well, thank you. Uh, I got elected in 2016. I was, uh, uh, my wife and I and my two friends worked hard. We got elected in a Dem seat and uh, took the storm, took the Capital by storm and worked hard as hard as we could. But but in, in my in my former life, when I got out of high school, I went to a school called Monroe Catholic Central. It was 440 boys. Mm. Two days after I graduated, I got a job at Mercy Hospital in Monroe. Now at that time there were two hospitals, Mercy and Memorial, yeah. and they were negotiating whether to come together and it was there was boards together. Yeah. But I worked in housekeeping and that was an eye-opening experience. Sure I, went is. From, I went from a facility with four hundred and something boys, two older women to a place that was dominated by educated ladies who ran the place. And it was a wonderful experience. In fact, one of my favorite experiences was I was getting reamed out by a doctor because I was buffing, that a, happen. I was buffing a floor <laughs> and I might have slopped some water on his alligator shoes. I don't know what I did. But he was, he was mad alligator. at me and, and, and he, he was chewing me out. And this head nurse came around the corner and latched onto him. And uh, uh, that was Millicent, and Millicent ran him away. And oh, wow. from that day forward, I loved the hospital even more. Yeah. I love nurses, and I love yeah. Millicent. And whatever Millicent wanted later in life, I took uh, care of. You got it. It was a so, good experience. So um, you've had uh, experience in the state legislature, most recently as a state representative. Uh, can you talk a little bit about you know what led you to this election uh, to run for state senator? Sure. I, I was on the Monroe County Community College Board for 15 years, 15 plus. Ended up being chairman in the last couple of years. And I saw in Michigan what happened with money, K through 12 got to be taken care of first. Yeah. And then we take care of the big schools. We may throw a couple dollars to Eastern, CMU and Western. But community college, you guys get crumbs. And I understood part of it because we have a millage and I understood part of it. But we were, we had great outcomes mm-hmm. for very little amount of state or federal money. Mm-hmm. And I thought we should push that more. Yeah. Every time I went to Lansing to push this stuff, I got pushed away because I don't have a lobbyist, you know, a sure. big money lobbyist. Sure. I also had a small market. And every time something happened in the market world, Walmart, Kroger, Meyer, 
a, a great Michigan company. They got what they needed. The small guys got crumbs. Yeah. So they got me interested in running. And one day I thought, well, let's run and see what happens. Yeah, noble reason, that's for sure. So now that we've established who you are and what what you do, we always like to start with this question. It's the question of why. Uh, and we do this on every every episode. So we get to know our, our, our listeners, get to know you, and we get to know you just a little bit better. So I want to know what is your why? What gets you up out of bed in the morning? What motivates you? Well, JJ, I'm a little different. I'm an addict in recovery. So my why is to get up every day and try to stay sober. Yeah. And if I stay sober, I have a chance to help other people. If I stay sober, they have a great chance in helping me every day. Because yeah. this just just because I quit drinking and drugging doesn't mean my life is cured. Mm-hmm. I have to I have to treat life on life's terms now. Yeah. So I get up every day. I say a prayer. I read a little bit of my my literature. Uh, I, my, my buddies send me stuff online every day to read. Sure. Um, I visit and, and, and see other alcoholics, drug addicts. Mm-hmm. I go to 12-step meetings every week. Yeah. And when I do that, people affect me. They help me change, and I, I help them change. And that's what it's all about. And being a person in recovery, knowing that if I get off the rails too far, yeah. my life is done. Yeah. Uh, I just got to stay on that stay and on keep it. working it every day. And that's 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 my why. And, and as I've done that, and I've been married almost 40 years, and I've mm-hmm. got three children that never see me drink and drug. And I've got six grandkids. Yeah. I've got a real reason now every yeah. day to get up and stay sober and Absolutely. live my life. Absolutely. So, you know, months and months ago, our mutual friend, a very good friend of mine, Congressman Tim Wahlberg, uh, called me and said, Jay, I, uh, I want you to consider a guy. I said, you do? I said, for what position? And he said, it's for the state Senate. And, you know, it's uh, Joe Babe. Is what he calls you. I don't know if you know that or not. Yeah, I know. I'm like, I find out why he calls him Joe Babe. We'll talk about that in a minute. But I said, uh, Congressman, I don't want to get involved in any more races. I'm done. Just yours. I'm just going to do yours. I'm not going to be promoting anybody. I'm not endorsing. Uh, and he goes, just just talk to him. And uh, he didn't tell me your story. But the first time I had you on the phone, you're, you started your intro with, I'm a recovering. You know, I, I didn't know if you were serious at first. And I thought, you know, is, is he is he joking or why would he joke about that? And later learning your story, it's a remarkable story of how you can overcome darkness and 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 use talent for good. And and I just want to tell you that your story it touches a lot of lives. It does. And I think, you know, there's a purpose for which you have been created, and there's a purpose for which you're leading us in, in the state right now. Um, and your story is what is most remarkable to me, is that coming from the bottom, uh, absolute bottom, correct? Correct. And, and the fact that you not only recognize it, you're not afraid to talk about it. And I don't know, maybe that's part of the requirement of, of part of your recovery. I'm not sure. Actually, it's just the opposite. They say in AA, you have to be anonymous. Oh, But my, ah. fir- my first <laughs> yeah. sponsor was our city attorney. Yeah. And he said, anonymous, crap, it doesn't help. You've got to be out there. You've got to let people know what's happening in your life. If you've turned your life around, yeah. let them know there is a way out. Yeah. There is a chance. You can do this too. People look at me and they say, well, it's easy for you because you're a state senator. You're a state representative. You, you, own a, you own a liquor store. It's easy for you to stay sober. No, no. I have the same problems yes. as a guy getting sober today. Yeah. But my meeting last night, I sat down next to a kid with 30 days. 30 days sober. He's working these 12 steps. He wants a better life. Yeah. And we're buddies. 
Yeah. Now, where else in America, in the you world, can, can two can. strangers get together and commiserate? Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and that's how we stay sober. Absolutely. I think that's remarkable, and it's a remarkable story. But I think that perspective has probably um, seasoned you to do some things that you've done in Lansing that we'll talk about. Uh, your perspective on crime and justice, and uh, your perspective on maybe some of the, the regulatory requirements and the laws. Um, but we'll talk about that in just a minute. But I, I want to, you know, really just focus on uh, you as uh, the leader, the representative, representative that you have have done uh, so well at in in the past working in the state of Michigan. So um, I I guess one of the areas that we want to highlight here, because we are a, a national podcast for Healthcare mm-hmm. uh, is health-related issues, and uh, can you give us background on the health-related issues that uh, you have worked on as a state representative, uh, and what what drew you to that? You know, to, to really champion some of those causes, and you've been involved in quite a few, and we're going to maybe talk about those in just a minute. But can you talk to us a little bit about why why you're drawn to that area? Well, when I first got elected, uh, I let the governor and Brian Kelly, Lieutenant Governor Kelly, know about my history. Um, a little side note, there was a Democrat when I got elected who was sober, going to meetings. Oh. We became great friends. That's great. And I found out, his, I got his number from my staff who didn't want to give it to me because he was it was a Democrat. I said, <laughs> look, in sobriety, we don't have Democrats or no, Republicans. You don't. We have people that are sober or people not sober. So That's right. I got a hold of this gentleman and I left a message. I said, uh, uh, John, I hear you're sober going to meetings. I just got elected. If this is true, let's hang out together because I hear this could be a real lonely life, real tough life. Yeah. And give me a call. If, if I'm correct, if I'm not correct, if I'm wrong about this assumption, don't call me back. It's a mistake. Forget about Sorry. it. Yeah. Well, five minutes later, my phone rings from Marquette, Michigan. It was John. Wow. John said, Bellino, this is a bittersweet phone call. I said, well, what's the sweet part? He said, I'm here by myself, but you're going to be coming up here. You're, you're only a few floors from me. We can hang out on the floor together. We can go to the meeting next to the Capitol at noon on Wednesdays together. We can hang out in our rooms together. We can commiserate about how it is to stay sober in this, in this strange world called Lansing. I said, well, what's the bad part about it? He said, well... I have a house in Lansing, and I rent to three Democrats. You defeated one of them. Oh. <laughs> so, so that's, that's a little better. February 1st comes around. I get a bill on my desk for 300 bucks, And then March 1st comes around. And then April 1st. In May, John went back out drinking. John hung himself in his apartment in Lansing, two blocks from the Capitol, oh, on a Tuesday no. after he got a drunk driving ticket the night before. No. And it's a sad part of Lansing, a sad part of life. But in my disease— this is what happens when you go back out drinking and drugging. That's awful. There are no good things that happen. Yeah. And right now uh, in Marquette, there's a John Kevila Center for people to go to and get sober. There's there's uh, counselors sponsored by a hmm. John Kevila scholarship. And it's, it's It'll be a great thing that John has done for the community of Marquette, but a sad part of, of, of life that in Lansing sad. sometimes. That is sad. So, uh, Remarkable story, though, that uh, obviously your influence was uh, was huge in in Lansing during that period. And and I just want to again, uh, when when I spoke with Bruce Caswell and we had him on this program not too long ago, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Bruce knew about you before you went and talked to him. You knew that, right? I figured he did. I yeah. wasn't sure though. Yeah, yeah. He, he did a lot of research and homework on you, and uh, he also told me your story. And uh, Things that that inspire people like Bruce Caswell are a personal story like yours um, because he knows you're real. You know, you shared with us today at another event, uh, you know, the glad handling that happens in Lansing and the patty on the back. You know, they're not your friends. Mm -mm. You know, they're not your friends. Uh, You find your true friends when you get to the bottom of life's most difficult situations. Mm -hmm. And uh, I want to thank you for being there for John. I want to thank you being there for future. I know you've been there for another friend of ours. We're not going to talk about that, but I want to thank you for that as well for his family. Uh, When he spoke to me about it, uh, to Rachel and I, he actually was in tears. 
uh, about what you have done for his family. So know this, lancing aside, the impact that you're making on lives, it's remarkable. So thank you very well, much. I just try to do what Christ directs me to do. Absolutely. But anyway, to go back to your, your question sure. to begin with, um, you know, medical and, and uh, uh, issues come up to us yeah. all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I first got elected, a classmate of mine reached out and said, Joe, I'm a nurse anesthetist. Why do I have to be in this hospital with a doctor sleeping in the basement while I do this procedure? Mm-hmm. So we started, we started working on it hard. Yeah. And it took four years. Four it's years. It's changed oh, I remember. Four years. Absolutely. Four years. But that was something. Yeah. It was passion. He was yeah. passionate about he it. He was. I found out about it. I got yeah. passionate about it. It's a great thing. We the were outcomes, there for hearings. We were there. If we were pushing it. MHA was pushing it. And, mm-hmm. and the outcomes are the same. So why not use right. it? And why not did. lower the cost of healthcare? That was remarkable. That that piece of legislation has saved hospitals like ours. I want you to know that. True story. Uh, where we would have to pay either an anesthesiologist or another supervising physician to be on site, mm-hmm. pay them a salary to watch over someone who needs to practice the top of their license. Yep. And you did it. After four years, we did it. Well, it was a team effort. It was. It, it was bipartisan. It was a lot of work. Though. It was, it was it heavy sure lift. Was. We had a bill also my first term about a dental assistant. We don't. We lack. We lack dentists in prisons. We lack dentists in the cities. We rural lack dentists in the rural communities. Oh yeah. Yep. You know, yeah. Farmington Hills has no problem. There's 20 dentists, but you go outside of Hills. You go to Hillsdale you're or California somewhere else. You you're can't not, find a dentist. You're not. My brother-in-law's a dentist. He was dead set against us. I went to school for all these years. Yada 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 yada. And I I listened to him. And he's my brother-in-law and. So I voted with him on this, but I was so hoping and praying that we would pass this, and we did. And we have people that are learning now to be to do sim- simple dental procedures, yeah. so they can go to a prison sure. and help out, so they can go it's to the remarkable. city and pull a teeth. Yeah, it's it's, it's, it's remarkable. things we need to do. Absolutely. So mm-hmm. those are the kind of things I'm passionate about. Yeah. Will it help the normal person? Yeah, absolutely. So. Excellent. Right. I know uh, this year on June 10th, and I don't know if that's going to become an annual thing, but you did declare June 10th as Alcoholics Anonymous Day, which fits very in line with your story. You've publicly advocated for substance use disorder treatment options, even when I read about an app that sounds very uh, innovative and very hmm. high tech, which is cool. Um, but moving forward, when it comes to substance use disorder in particular, what policies are you focused on or are you exploring or looking at? Well, I love June 10th because because it's AA's anniversary. The two men met in Akron on June 10th, 1935. But also, hmm. on June 10th, 1958, I arrived to the world. Huh. Oh. So when I first got sober, oh, okay. and I was sober about six months, you know, it's, people talk about June 10th. I'm thinking, wait a minute, why do these it's people my know my birthday? <laughs> <laughs> and then I realized I was born to be an alcoholic drug addict. I, if I'd have known that, that would have saved seven years of pain. Oh, I didn't man, know. that's crazy. You know, the whole thing about uh, the... the, the <laughs> Substance abuse disorder is that we can't keep treating this the way we have a common cold 40 years ago. Mm-hmm. We have been treating substance uh, addicts and alcoholics the same way for 120 years. We've got to do something different. Mm-hmm. And when this app came around and these people talked to me and we investigated it, it was kind of like a, a, a convergence of Pavlov's dog and, and new 21st century medicine. Mm-hmm. People need to know they're doing right things. People need to know there's consequences when they do wrong things. Addicts need to know if you cross this line, this is going to happen. Yeah. And I love that idea, and the, and the app is working great. It's a new way. It's an inexpensive new way huh. to treat this city insidious disease. So can you share a little bit of yeah, I don't know how about does this it, app? How what does is it, it work? So, what is the so I have a counselor. I'm going professional counseling. I'm on my app. And so she'll she'll say, uh, June 6th, make sure you drop. Oh, if okay. you drop on June 6th and it's clean, on your phone I will see. be a $20 gift card to Big B. Really? On June 8th, if you go to two meetings and see your counselor, there'll be a $5 gift card to this. It's it's to get people trained, yeah. and, mm. it, it, trained and incentives to do this. Because as an addict, the only incentive we have is to get our next drug, our next drink. Mm. 
That's so we steal yeah. and we do this stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. so, so, so non-traditional treatments, I think, is the future of people getting sober. Sure. It's not being locked up in carbon life twenty eight days, getting spin dried. No. It's non-traditional no. stuff that takes place. Well, it doesn't every change day. the behavior, right? Yes. I mean, we have to change the behavior. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. So obviously, sometimes in healthcare, we see the unintended consequences mm-hmm. uh, of certain policies. It can, you know, be detrimental to patients and. Uh, to a certain extent, healthcare providers. Um, you actually stepped in on one such uh, policy recently related to in-home dialysis. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you share with our listeners a little bit about that, what happened, how did you get involved, and how did you fix it? So because of the opioid problem we've had the last 20 years, mm-hmm. we found out that uh, people were stealing prescriptions. We, we have yeah. a few cases in Monroe County. They steal prescriptions, yep. write it out, get their opioids. So we want to go to prescription list, uh, way to get medicine, yeah. everything online. Yeah. The problem was when we did this, we left out this whole segment of dialysis where people are getting prescriptions. Wow, I didn't going realize in. that. And mm-hmm. so we had to go back, change it, get it back in. It was a quick fix. Once we yeah. knew we screwed up, yeah. we fixed it to help yeah. these home care dialysis places. So that was a simple fix. Sure. Sometimes mm-hmm. they're not that simple. They take time. Yeah. But that was a simple fix and we got it done. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Mm-hmm. How did you get involved in that? Did you have a, a constituent that came to you specifically um, yes. about that issue yes. that was affected by mm-hmm. it? it? It affected uh, Davida, one of the biggest dialysis people yeah, in America. Yes, and they is. have a place in Monroe. And the guy oh, okay. called me up and we met for coffee. And he explained mm-hmm. to me, I thought, wow, I didn't know we did that. Yeah. So I went back to Bronna Colley from Lenawee County, who oh, yeah. is the health chair oh, yeah. policy She's been director. on this podcast She's been on this a while a, back. Yeah. She's a wonderful human Wonderful being. lady. I love her to death. She is. And we talked about how to do it. She goes, Joe, I think there's something in the mix. And we started doing it, and yeah. damn, it was done. With a healthcare uh, background, too. Mm-hmm. Yes. She has, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Excellent. So, uh, you know, moving forward as a state senator now, starting on January 3rd, um, how will you identify and prioritize healthcare-related policy concerns and initiatives? And then also, if you can talk a little bit about, um, you know, the difference now that you have uh, an, an additional very rural part of the constituency that you're serving with a big chunk of Hillsdale County, um, how does that also impact that process for you? Well, with my three counties, Monroe, Lenawine, Hillsdale, I've got both worlds. Mm-hmm. I've got the right. huge gorilla in the room, ProMedica. Yeah. And I've got Hillsdale, yeah. Yeah. A, an independent hospital yeah. that's, that's treading water, hold its own yeah. and doing fine. Yeah. Um, you got to balance that. What's what's best for everybody? Sure. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I, uh, I know ProMedica is a, a, a good company. I've had no problems with it. Sure. Every time I, we, our kids were born or I sure. had a problem, we went to ProMedica Monroe. Yeah. They took care of us. Sure. But now I see in Monroe that if you have something serious, they're going to send you to Toledo, Toledo. simple stuff to keep you in Monroe. Right. And, and I'm not sure what the future is for a hospital in Monroe with ProMedica running it. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. So I, th- I think, you know, balancing the two, the small mm-hmm. hospital, the mm-hmm. rural hospital like you have in ProMedica has got to be the way to go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not a fan of big hospitals because all they do is gobble up share, gobble up share, gobble up share, and then yeah. squeeze the little guy. Which mm-hmm. is what what's happening Hence around the, the start world. of this program, yep. right? Right. That is literally uh, why we're that here. That is literally why we're here. <laughs> so yeah. we'll keep an eye on that and uh, yeah. go from there. Good. And and I know you have my phone number, so if there's a Absolutely. problem, you'll text right. me. Oh, I will. Yeah. You know the the landscape in Lansing uh, is changing, and uh, you know we talked about this earlier. First time in forty years uh, that uh, the chambers are are filled with different parties. Uh, than we have experienced. And I guess for our listeners, uh, and again, this is a podcast across the U.S., but for the Michigan listeners, um, what do you think that means? And, and and I guess, you know, we've had some different perspective on here, just to let you know. Some have, have said, well, it's going to make compromise. We're going to have to compromise in some areas. We're going to have to ensure that maybe, you know, this party gets something, this party gets something. You know, what? It, can you give us a sense of what that looks like for you? Um, obviously, the numbers, you know the numbers better than I do. So can you give us a number first of all, of how that's split? Mm-hmm. Well, we have a, a Democratic governor, lieutenant governor, and it's 20 to 18 in the Senate. 
So it's one one vote that way, and fifty six fifty four in the House. Okay, so, so it's one seat that way. Um, mm, so it's very very close. Very close. I don't know when you say compromise. I don't have a feeling we're going to have that here yeah. coming up. I got a feeling there's going to be an agenda that's going to be one to be shoved down uh, the Lansing's throat, and and we'll deal with it the way it happens. Mm-hmm. I know that uh, when we had all chambers. We weren't really into compromising with the Democrats. We wanted to go good Republican policy, lower taxes, mm-hmm. less government, grow business. Uh, that's what we wanted to do. The Democrats have a different idea. They want to change some things. They want to go back to right to work. They want to put some more pronouns in the Elliot Larson's Act. Um, they want to get rid of charter schools. They want to do a lot of things that's against what I believe in. Mm-hmm. So, and, and when I hear the Dems say they want to get rid of charter schools, I'm, I ask them, that, how was that equitable for the kids in Detroit who go to the worst, who aren't in, half the kids in Detroit are in a charter school. Half of them are, half aren't. So now we don't make all of them go back to the Detroit public schools, which were the worst public schools in America. How equitable is that? Yeah. Parents without money need a choice. So we'll be fighting them on a lot of fronts. And with the Senate, luckily we have a few ways to do things and the House doesn't. If it's 56, 54, it goes to the Senate or whatever. In the Senate, we have a little, little more room to negotiate okay. and get things more our way okay. or maybe water down the bill or yeah. we'll see what happens. So so help us understand for the governor's budget, mm-hmm. uh, you adopt it as a legislature, correct? The, 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 the legislature, she has her ideas. Right. The House forms a budget. Correct. And then we start negotiating with and the House. And you negotiate. Yeah. So is there a certain percentage of House members that have to vote for that? So in other words, is it going to be a guarantee that the budget goes through even if you have every vote in the Republican Party say no? Does it still win? Uh, no, it doesn't. In the House it would, but not the Senate. In right. the Senate, you mm. need 25 votes to pass a bill for immediate effect. The budget will have to be an immediate effect because it's got to take place in October. Okay. It's not like two or three years down the road. Let's say we pass a bill that says you can't cross road unless you're at a corner right. and, and we don't have the Republican votes. That takes place April 1st, 2025. You can't do that with the budgets. You gotta, it's it's got to be now. got to be now. So there'll be some negotiating with the budget for sure. Mm-hmm. So even so even if they do pass legislation, you're saying without the overwhelming support of the Senate, of of the Senate yep. that it will not be enacted for Years. Yes. For mm-hmm. uh, it'll be three months after this house session's over. Really? So April first, twenty twenty five. It's called immediate effect. So what? Why is that? What, it's in our constitution. Okay. And mm-hmm. The forefathers thought that they didn't want stupid bills to go through right away. Maybe. I see. Okay. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Mm-hmm. And give a chance for mm-hmm. those to be deliberated on, sure. maybe over the years or etc. In the last four years, we've done that with the Democrats in the Senate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We have done things like in order to get Stephanie Chang's vote on the budget one year, uh, we 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 gave her money to help with a, a railroad overpass in her okay. area that, where there was a big okay. problem. So okay. things like. Like that. All right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, with six billion, that's a B with a mm-hmm. billion uh, dollars that are coming from or have already come from the federal government. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a timeline for spending that money, correct? A, a timeline for it to be earmarked. earmarked. And everything's done. All the timelines are done. So what we did was we took the six billion, we took the money from the feds, put it into budgets, earmarked it, took money out of the backside of that budget that, that wasn't earmarked, oh. and we have that in the bank. Oh, okay. So, so uh. we've, every, every state did this. We, I we, see. So it, you just, you, okay, so then that money, though, is still there. Still, almost $6 billion is still there in earmarked. the bank. Earmarked. Yes. And those earmarks are not specific earmarks, no, right? No, no, So that's what More becomes like a debate. More like big buckets, I guess, that Yeah, they're big buckets, identified. and they're sitting there ready to be spent. And, the and Dems, everybody wants it. <laughs> you know, we've done a pretty good job. Uh, we, yeah. we, we, we put... Because of the House push, we put $2.5 billion down on debt last year. Mm. What, is, what is, can you tell, what is Michigan's debt? Do we, do we uh, have a number? Well, when Snyder left, he said by 2038, there'll be no more debt. Oh. We're, we're on mm-hmm. that timeline. 
then the governor bonded for roads. Oh. Mm. So it's a little farther out. But I we see. put $2.5 billion on the teacher's debt, the state police debt, okay. the judge's debt, mm-hmm. so that to make it better for the future. And, and incredible. So, you know, you're, you're entering a, a four-year term. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. Uh, and what are your priorities? I mean, what could you tell our listeners that some of the things that are really impassioned for you? Well, one of the big priorities is we have this opioid settlement money coming in. How will it be spent? Yeah. Mm. Where will it go? I know with the current attorney general, she likes to put things in cities, in rural, in, in urban areas. I want to see it spread out more. I don't want to mm-hmm. see the money wasted. I want things to go to non-traditional treatment. Mm-hmm. And there's a board that oversees the money of 12 or 13 people. Okay. I was lucky that I gave, I gave two names of people who were sober in the recovery field, and they're both on this board uh, now. Oh, that's incredible. Board now. Good. So they'll keep so an they eye on some it. dialogue and input yep. into that. And, and I've had some conversations with the AG yeah. about the opioid settlement money, and she knows my life. And even yeah. though we think different politically, yeah. we both want to help people get better. And, and mm-hmm. Senator-elect, that money has to go to uh, programs that benefit mm-hmm. those who are in addiction, or or what is the requirement of that? Yes, any some sort of alcohol, alcohol drug, abuse. drug abuse. Yeah. So they'll go to the counties, and they'll have the programs. In Monroe County, we, for the high school kids or in junior high kids, we have something called SPLIT, Student Prevention Leadership Program. It's a great little program. Uh, it, it's 100000 a year, yeah. but the kids get so much uh, exposure right. to addiction, and it's a, it's a good thing yeah. to learn when you're young. Yeah. So it's something like that. Okay. Um, not just give money to Harbor Light or somebody else that's a big right. uh, provider of these services. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and uh, the committees, have they been assigned yet? No, not yet. Not okay. yet. I hope to be on energy. You who have been on energy. I've been on energy for six years. I've in, in my county, my district right now produces more energy than any district in the state. It's I have a nuclear plant and a big coal burner in my district. Okay. So one of them will be phased out in 10, 15 years, whatever right. the timeline is. I don't remember exactly. But one, I hope, runs for a long time because nuclear yeah. energy is good, clean energy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And windmills, that's a thing. Uh, there's that's... no windmills in Monroe County. But now in my new district, there's windmills in there's Hillsdale. Windmills. There's yes. windmills in Hillsdale. <laughs> I can't believe the first time I came to the Hillsdale. You saw windmills I, I looked in Hillsdale. Up, Where did these windmills come from? <laughs> it's really hard to think about, isn't oh, it? It, is, it? If is. you're in Hillsdale. Yeah. But uh, they passed it. And, and you've left that up to each of the jurisdictions, right? Yes. That's not a state yes, issue yes. or a mandate. No. So what what would be just one of your priorities in energy then as you look at the future? Uh, to do things responsibly. I know we're going, we're moving toward renewables. We need to do it responsibly. Yeah. We don't need just to be like California, shut these plants down and hope this solar works and yada, yada, yada. As you've seen, sir, the last three weeks, we've had very few days of sun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, the the new uh, photovoltaic cells, the the new solar panels are good in the in the in the shade, but they're better when the sun's out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we need the sun to be out. In the UP, they get eighty more days of sun than we get down here. So hmm. they work real well up there. Yeah. But here they don't work that well. So we need to be responsible. Yeah. I know we're moving toward it, but darn it, why penalize people? Uh, yeah. Because we want we want we have to get all these renewables Absolutely. in. Absolutely. So every time we want to do renewables, it, people have to pay for it. Yeah. Who's going to pay for it? Right. Can't be the poor people. They can't afford a right. a, a cell no. on top of their house. No. no, no. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I wanted to go back to the um, discussion of the split within the legislature. Mm-hmm. And while technically there's a turnover in the majorities, there's not a turnover in the automatic immediate effect vote being assumed uh, along party lines. Right. Mm-hmm. Correct. So. What I would imagine, and I may be wrong, so tell me if I'm wrong on this, because we're also seeing that a similar situation in the federal legislature, right, mm-hmm. um, in Congress. So being, you know, an advocate for rural health, what I'm thinking is, well, if there's this this split where there has to be somebody has to 
join hands across the aisle for anything to to get done in the near future and and to have that immediate effect. Um, I would think that some of the more partisan and more controversial issues are going to be a lot harder to get anything done on. Correct. Therefore, does that leave an opportunity for something like rural health care, where it's kind of a good PR thing for everybody a lot of times to be supportive of rural health care? Does that give us a better opportunity to get some things done that are, you know, in our interest as, you know, a rural community, but as a rural hospital in particular? Oh, sure it does. You know, rural health care is 70% of the state. Right. Mm -hmm. 70%. And uh, we need to make sure the rural hospitals stay healthy. We Mm -hmm. need to make sure we have doctors in the areas Mm -hmm. and dentists or dental hygienists or something. It's going to be a big priority because we have to have health care. And outside of what you do, the mental health care side of oh. Michigan, we stink at it. We, we are terrible. We are terrible and nobody cares. And, and, and Senator Is Shur- anybody good, though, in the, in the United States? Like, what state is doing it right? Has I, anybody cracked the code I yet? I had no idea. You know? Mr. Shirky had a great idea, I thought. He did. And, and it didn't, it didn't and, even— It didn't it, go anywhere because all the fiefdoms now that get the money, they didn't want any change. So they called all the reps and all the senators. And I asked him, I said— if you think you don't want it, what Mike wants, then how is, how is it that I call you with a mental health uh, emergency at 4 yeah. o'clock on Friday? You put me on hold till 9 in the morning on Monday. How is that mental health care? It's not. You guys are dropping the ball big time. That's right. That's so, right. so that and, and I was pleased to see that among the top list of items that the governor uh, in her party wants to tackle, mental health was one of them. Now, I don't know to what degree that their solutions are. But I'm, I'm encouraged because I'm going to tell you right now, in our emergency department, there is not a week that goes by that we do not have someone waiting there for days and days, mm-hmm. weeks. We've had them here for months. True story. It's been rare. Weeks, yes. Uh, days given. You know it's going to be, there's no placement no. for mm-hmm. these patients. Mm-hmm. And we know when they, when they get back on their medications, they integrate into society normally. Mm-hmm. That's our goal. Yep. And and so without beds, as you know, Governor English shut down the mental institutions, uh, state sanctioned and owned medical uh, mental institutions in uh, in Michigan that had a major impact on two places. Number one, they ended up going to jails or hospital ER rooms. This is where we see the population go. It's inappropriate for them. Mm-hmm. Just like when you talk about it's inappropriate, the the guy who's suffering from drug addiction isn't going to get healed and and isn't going to find his great day in the county jail. Mm-hmm. There's no programs there. There's no there's no uh, there's no forgiveness there. Nothing of that happens. So I, I guess I am encouraged to hear a little bit about the mental health space. But I'm going to tell you right now, it's a rule problem in our hospitals across the state. Mm-hmm. We have patients who are boarded in emergency departments who cannot get out of our facility. And right. then the opportunity for them to have follow-up care doesn't exist mm-hmm. because it's a, it's a loss. Hospitals and, and mental health institutions cannot fund after the hospitalization for these uh, facilities to be open. And so if there's anything we can do to encourage you to look at that mm-hmm. piece of it, it's huge. And Oftentimes, what do you also see playing a role in in the psychiatric patient? Substance abuse. Yep, big time. Big time. Yep, big time, and it's substance abuse. I see that at meetings. I see people that got off their meds because if they're not on their meds, they must be okay. They must be okay. More, they're drinking more, and man, next thing you know, six weeks later, they're worse than they were before. They're worse. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping there's some ground there where I can work with someone like Senator Chang or Senator Santana who, who who have passion for mental health on the other side of the please, aisle. Please, please. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and the other issue, too, that's really central to this is patient transport. 
because Huge. a lot of times we well and and we've we've come up with a solution to this now, but um, we were experiencing a lot before, and other hospitals are experiencing where. We finally find a bed for a patient that's in the ER. If our unit is full, because we do have a behavioral health unit, um, then by the time they get a bed, then we got to find somebody to transport them. And by the time we find someone to transport them, we've lost the bed. And that's oftentimes why people end end up in there for so long for some of those longer stays is because of this revolving door of found a bed, can't find transport, lost the bed, found a bed, can't find transport, lost the bed. So that's another issue that we're really you know, keeping an eye on is the challenges with, you know, health transport services in mm-hmm. general across the state. I didn't know much about the mental health problem in Michigan until I started talking to the people from the UP. Oh, yeah. Mm. And, and the transport, transporting people down and they had to use two sheriffs and it That's cost right. them thousands of dollars. Right. And mm-hmm. we got a couple things changed. And I think they may be building a hospital finally up there, a yeah, small hospital there is. near Marquette. So, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, but, but the hospital near, uh, near the thumb, yeah. I mean, we we're going to build a new one. The governor shut it down. We had to redo the plans, and and so mm-hmm. I'm hoping she's on our side and help these people. Yeah, I agree with you, and and I would be remiss if you weren't on this podcast and and for us not to share with you that 140 hospitals since 2010 rural hospitals, rural hospitals, mm-hmm. rural have closed in America, over wow. 140. Wow! And you can see Michigan is right on that list as well. Albion, Michigan, not too far mm-hmm. from here. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you've been to Albion before. Albion, Michigan closed their hospital. The economies in those communities suffer. The healthcare outcomes for those patients. Well, big time. Absolutely. When a patient can not get to immediate care for stroke or heart attacks, it's death. And so, you know, we we created this podcast to, to elevate awareness of rural health. And the answer to rural health is not mergers and acquisitions by bigger systems. Because what they do is they take away local autonomy that I have right. to not do the things that I don't want to do here as a hospital. And then to get rid of our obstetrics and then to get rid of your psych unit. We watched that in Adrian. And yep. I can talk about it. They did that. Adrian closed their psychiatric unit. And you know what happened? Those patients don't have transportation. And so now those patients cannot receive care. And if they do receive care, now they're trying to get it in Hillsdale, Michigan. And you know how far Adrian is from Hillsdale. It's not just a, a walk or a, there's no taxi rides or those types of things. So access is shut down. And we see this across the spectrum when big systems collaborate and acquire or affiliate. And as a result of that, services are hurt in those respective communities. So the work you did for rural hospital designation, that's huge. Mm-hmm. We understand maybe one or two hospitals in Michigan will take advantage of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's great. Yep. That's great. Um, we're not in that category because we're we're bigger than one of them, but we're smaller than a system. Um, we're right. We're what we call a tweener hospital, and there's several of us left, rural independent tweener hospitals that aren't big enough to have a conglomerate, but bigger than the small critical access, and we're at risk. We're at risk because 70% of my paramix is Medicaid and Medicare. Wow. And we can't negotiate with Medicaid or Medicare. No. We right. can't even negotiate with Blue Cross Blue Shield or any of those others because we have no negotiating power. So we're truly doing, and I say this often, God's work here. This is like missionary work. We're taking care of the sickest among us. And we're mm-hmm. doing it at cost, below cost, and sometimes not even getting reimbursed. We're doing this as charity care. Uh, Our bottom line reflects charity care, charity care, charity care, because we still have a population in Hillsdale. They didn't go out and get the Obamacare. They just, Mm -hmm. they're not covered. But when they present, we have to, we have to take care of them and Mm -hmm. we want to do that. When they come into our facility, we want to take care of them. So we're doing a considerable amount of great work here. And if we didn't have this hospital uh, doing that work, where would these patients go? There would be more illness, 
more, obviously, injury and potentially, and I'm not being dramatic here, death. Oh, that's true. As a result of it. And so we would just encourage you as you look at those type of piece of legislation for mental health, rural transport, some of those things, the emergency designation, um, consider the rural partners that we have. Mm -hmm. And I know uh, you've been an advocate. You've said that, that you've been an advocate of rural, even though you're from the big city, right? (laughs) Yeah, Monroe. Uh, Monroe. (laughs) Uh, And uh, but, But truly, I would just, that's the encouragement I give you. We have no agenda. Our agenda is 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 really g- driven towards our people, which is to make sure that we have health care in this community. Uh, what the locally Mid- governed health care in this governed, community, yeah. yeah. And what the Midgley started, you know, uh, over a hundred years ago, uh, in their home, uh, wife and husband, uh, was really to create affordable local access, high quality care, and we have we have done that for over a hundred years, and we generate back into this local economy. $120 million every year back into the local economy. We buy the cars from the people you met today. We're doing this and and we're generating that into the economy. But that aside, not just the capitalistic J.J. Hodgeyer, is the care that would be compromised in our communities if we lose our hospitals. So that's our challenge and our charge to you today. Uh, as you go forth, we don't, we, how many times do we call Senator uh, Caswell? Very few times, uh, truly. I mean, I did more fundraisers than I called him for favors. Okay. And, and it's because, you know, he knew the, the, the rural area. He knew what it took. You know, he, he brought an issue up to us today because uh, he's the only guy probably with an antenna. Uh, but he brought an <laughs> issue up to us today. Uh, that's really, it's, it's important to him, right? And those are the things that we really cherish about rural. And so mm-hmm. with that, I want to thank you for joining us today on Rural Health Rising. I look forward to having you back maybe six months, eight months, see how things are going. Yeah. You call uh, me. I'll take the ride over. All right. We're good. Perfect. Take the ride over. We'll have some lunch. But thank you for joining us. And we ask, you know, God's blessings on your new tenure here coming up in January. Senator, that's a huge responsibility. But now that you shift some responsibility over from the, you know, the representative side to the senator side, you've got a lot on your shoulder. And yeah. uh, it's going to take a lot of support from folks like us. It will. And to, it will take get behind you. support from God, too. That's right. Amen. Absolutely. So thank you for your time today. It's been great having you here. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. And before we close, we'd like to do a fun segment with each of our guests. So we want to know, what is your most unique rural experience or one of your favorite memories that's unique to rural life? And we've heard them all. We've heard mm-hmm. everything from cow tipping to uh, roosters chasing somebody mm-hmm. at a, I think um, we've had them all. Um, yeah, some co- healthcare related, some, some healthcare, not. some it's, not. Yeah, it's okay, a wide thing. open. Couple it's, things, couple things. I'm at a football game years ago in my in my district at a, at a, a rural high school, and they had a cow in this cage, and they had squares, hundred squares. You put money on a square, and if the cow dumped on that square, you won money. <laughs> oh my god! That was a big fundraiser. It was cool. Only then, in a rural community. And then in my second uh, little story, my wife and I were out on a drive route in my second campaign in the, in the rural part of Monroe County, London Township. And uh, we pull into a driveway, and my wife says, look, that barn back there, there's two men back there. Go talk to them. So I get my sheets out about, you know, what a good guy Joe Bellino is, and I'm walking up. And these two guys are walking toward me. And they look like brothers, but I wasn't sure. But when they got closer, I saw that it was it was Daryl, and it was his other brother, little brother Daryl. <laughs> and in between the two of them, they had like six teeth. And I told them, I said, I'm Joe Bellino, yada, yada, yada. And the guy said, we're, we're both voting this year. We're voting because marijuana's on the ballot. Oh, my God. And I said to him, well, darn it, you vote for marijuana, and you vote for Joe Bellino. 
you know, because in my younger day, I smoked a lot of dope. <laughs> and the end. Oh, that's great. Well, that you can't get much more rural than that right. story. Well, Senator-elect Joe Bellino, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, sir. Next time on Rural Health Rising, we'll have another great conversation with another great guest, so be sure to tune in. And with that, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and tell others why they should listen too. Your feedback helps more listeners find Rural Health Rising. And you can now find us on Twitter. I'm at Hillsdale CEO JJ. Rachel is at Rural Health Rach. And you can also follow the podcast at Rural Health Pod. Until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay strong. Rural Health Rising is a production of Hillsdale Hospital in Hillsdale, Michigan, and a proud member of the Health Podcast Network. Hosted by J.J. Hodshire and Rachel Lott. Audio engineering and original music by Kenji Ulmer. Special thanks to today's guest, State Senator-elect Joe Bellino of Michigan's 16th District. For more episodes, interviews, and more information, visit RuralHealthRising.com.